Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And much like a few weeks ago when I interviewed Oliver Harper, I found him through YouTube because i uh, going through searches of things that I really enjoy. And other than just nostalgic movies in the 80s, 90s, I do enjoy comic book movies and comic book related shows on YouTube. And that is how I was able to... Uh, how I was able to Stumble upon uh, our guest here tonight a couple of years ago, and I've been a fan ever since. Who am I speaking to on the other side of the Skype call? It's Captain Logan. Woo! <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Cap, for taking time out uh, to do this interview with me. Yeah, sure, man. Happy to do it. All right. Now, for those who are listening to this podcast, we're about to do an interview with Captain Logan of Geekvolution. <laughs> born oh wow just jumping straight into personal history stuff okay i, I think um, you set it up that way and then we move in like doing chronological order <laughs> wow okay uh, i didn't realize i was on uh something akin to inside the actor studio i was born <laughs> in 1984 august of 1984 in russellville arkansas or actually a super tiny town right outside of russellville arkansas uh called dardanelle because my parents preferred the labor unit in that hospital. Hmm. And do you still reside there? No, I'm in Kansas City. Very nice, very nice. And do you remember what was your first comic book you ever read? The first comic that I can uh, recall, and I'm sure I had you know, read one or two before this, but the first one I remember uh, and the first one that solidified me as a collector was and and I always forget the number. And I don't I don't remember it right now. It, it was the uh, issue of Action Comics during Death of Superman that introduced the Eradicator uh, as one of the four Supermen that was trying to take the place of Superman after after he died. Very nice, very nice. Uh, do you remember your first comic book movie experience? You know, uh, I, I don't. Um, my because the thing that always uh, comes to mind is a story that my dad tells me. And he's told me it so many times that I almost like have a memory of it, even though I don't really have a memory of it. Um, probably, I probably the first thing uh, superhero movie wise that I remember, of course, is Batman 1989, which I didn't see in the theater, uh, but saw on video. My dad claims that the first movie I saw, uh, and, and and of course this is prophetic. Yes, the first movie I saw apparently was uh, Superman Four. Really, in in the theater, yeah. Uh, and I, I think uh, and I think I talked about that some uh, when I did the rewind for that. But I, I have I, I was I was uh, sitting on the front on the front row with my dad uh, eating popcorn and drinking a soda. And Dad said that I was, or rather, I had those with me. Dad said that I was so engrossed in that movie that I never touched my popcorn. Huh? Just with that in mind, and what how Superman is for perceived today, it's rather interesting that even somebody at that young age was that. I guess enthralled by the experience, even though 
the consensus of today, the movie is not that great in yeah, Superman fans' yeah. eyes. But what does a what does a four year old know who's seen Superman for the first time? Uh, of course. Um, where uh, where did you go to college? I went to college at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, uh, where I partially grew up. I went to junior high and high school in Lawrence and uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and I have a bachelor's degree in English and creative writing. Now, with that degree in mind, did that inform your YouTube channel when you were starting when you started Geekvolution? Yeah, yeah, entirely. Now, what was the spark that then made you decide to start Geekvolution in the first place? Um, well, I'll, I'll, tr- I'll try not to give you the obnoxious long version, but <laughs> it's, it's a little bit complicated just simply because Geekvolution wasn't my uh, idea in the first place. Now, what it is now certainly was, but it transformed and had kind of an amorphous. Uh, back in 2007, when I was still in college, uh, I applied for a, an unpaid internship to write for a blog for this new website that was starting uh, there in Lawrence called uh, My Geek Life, which was a social network that was trying to uh, compete with the likes of Facebook, but for geeks. And of course, it didn't really pan out real well. Um, it was kind of a neat website, but they were really obsessed with backgrounds. Uh, it seemed like their their big thing was you get to use your own background. <laughs> but it, but it was I mean it was really a, a, you know an aesthetically pleasing site. It was a lot of fun to use, but it didn't have a lot of bells and whistles yet. When we started, and there, there were a lot of plans for more things, but it just didn't quite take off. And I was hired on to write blogs to try to drive traffic uh, to that website, and I started writing reviews. And I, I became fascinated with the idea of uh, critique and review uh, in college. For a couple reasons. One, because my favorite part of workshopping when I was in uh, when I was in creative writing courses, uh, short story writing courses, was actually more the, uh, the 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 peer editing and the critiquing of other people's work than it was even the stories. And of course, I, I love writing my own stuff, mm-hmm. but I kind of I kind of found a love for uh, writing nonfiction and for writing critique right right there. And then also, uh, I found kind of a love for writing uh, critical analysis in some of the literature courses that I had. And so I uh, combined those two things, and I started getting really interested in movie reviewing and so and, and other kinds of reviewing. So I was reviewing uh, mostly TV shows and movies when, uh, when, I was, when I was there with My Geek Life. And the tagline for My Geek Life was, uh, join the Geekvolution. Hmm. Now, and, oh, sorry. Oh, you're fine. And, and, and what I was going to say is eventually uh, the guy that ran it, Ryan Flanagan, uh, decided that he liked the name Geekvolution better than My Geek Life, and he changed it. And I remember at the time I, I, was, I, was, uh, I was really against the idea and told him that it, that it was a terrible name and it would never fly, and <laughs> I, I didn't like it at all. And uh, eventually uh, he started the YouTube channel that we have now. Uh, it, was, it was actually... A, uh, I want to say our, the date of our starting is like oh seven oh eight, uh, and it was uh, basically supposed to just be a hub for videos that we might want to embed in blogs. It wasn't supposed to be really its own thing. And then eventually, Ryan decided to uh, go off and do other things, and uh, he started doing a lot of other um, uh, things for websites. I think he he wrote code for like uh, newspaper websites and stuff like that, and he. Uh, and I, and I had already started, um, I want to say I'd already started Geeks Not Nerds and Superhero Rewind by then, uh, which I was meaning to just kind of use as more content for that blog. 
And uh, Ryan basically uh, gave me the the name, you know, the licensing kind of outright. And uh, then I transformed it into what it is now. What was over the years? Oh, Um, do you remember what was your first superhero rewind video that you uploaded to YouTube? Oh yeah, Uh, do you know it? I believe it was it's one of the Superman uh, directed video movies, if I'm not mistaken. Superman Doomsday. And I know it's. I remember that because you upload like a Redux review not too long ago, maybe a little within the last year as a yeah. reevaluation. Yeah, um, I, came, I came back and did another one. Well, I thought it would be fun uh, to redo that one because uh, it had been a while since I had done regular rewinds. And uh, so I thought, you know, resurrecting the series, it would be kind of fun to go back and do the first one I ever did. And uh, it was about the death of Superman and his resurrection. So I, I thought that was kind of a fun idea. And with, like, when you went, before you decided to do the Redux review, when you went back, did you rewatch the original review in its entirety and decided right then and there, like, oh, I need to do this again? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I watched it again just to see what it was uh, that, I, that I said so that, uh, you know, I knew how much I would be repeating myself and I could call back to things and stuff like that. Um, but no, I didn't really do it be, just because I thought it needed to be redone, although once I listened to it again, I was kind of glad I was doing that uh, <laughs> because um, I, I feel like I've kind of come a long, long way from then. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, a number of those early reviews, uh, just because the format has morphed and, and, and changed and, uh, rewind is a lot more in depth now. So a lot of those early reviews, like, like it's a lot more about the analysis than it is about just kind of, you know, an overview. Here's, here's basic, here's the basic gist of what I think about a movie. And then here are the, you know, a, a few details. Um, now it's, you know, really kind of involved. And so I would like to go back to some of the early ones and, 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 uh, and follow them up again. Um, especially, uh, especially X2. That, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you later on. So, so just, since you brought up X2, do you think X2 and Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 2, the Tobey Maguire movie, do they still hold up as benchmarks in the superhero movie genre with retrospect of the, the, the Marvel movies and, and the Christopher Nolan movies? Well, certainly benchmarks. Uh, I mean, have we have we surpassed surpass them in the story sophistication and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I certainly with Spider Man Two, we have. Um, I think that that I you, you know you have to kind of look at uh, you have to look at some of these uh, different franchises and the stories that, that they're telling and the kinds of things that they are um, on their own terms. And sometimes it's difficult to compare them. But I think X Two is still every bit as good as uh, Days of Future Past. And I uh, was Spider-Man Two. Uh, is I mean, I mean, like I, I don't, I don't think it holds a candle to the um, to, to the story depth that we have with some of the Marvel movies now. Uh, but I think we have to have it. I mean, I think it's and of course the first one certainly as well. But you know, I think it's I, I think it's a vast improvement over the original. Um, and and then I think that you have to have it in order to get what we've got now. It's almost like. Like, like I always argue, like when people say, like the Burton, the Bur- the Tim Burton and the Joe Schumacher movies do not count when it comes to Batman Lord. I'm like, no, that's they're part of it. We needed those to get the Christopher Nolan's movies, and we needed Nolan's movies to get to the DCU that we're getting, that we're we're heading towards. Um, do you remember your, the first response to the Superman superhero rewind review, the first one you put up? Do you remember the first responses to it? You were like the very first people who commented? Either commented or friends and family that saw it and decided to give you their feelings on it. Yeah, wow, that's a great question. Uh, 
One of the first comments I remember getting uh, on on a couple of those uh, very early ones um, is somewhat ironically, I was someone I uh, you know in a certainly a friendly way criticizing them for not being in depth enough and for uh, my needing to use more examples to explain what I was referring to, and uh, I think that's really funny because nobody says that now, right? Um, well, and uh, my my. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't remember if uh, you know, a lot of my immediate family watched them early on. I mean, I didn't really, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a hobby. I didn't really expect them to, to really go anywhere. Um, it was just an idea I had, and I thought it'd be fun to put it out there. And uh, my, my wife really liked them; she was really happy with them. Uh, but um, I don't think a lot of my family really saw them until the channel started to kind of take off, and I started telling them that I was beginning to kind of transform this into what I do. Um, do you go into certain other like like you're saying? that you decided you wanted to be more in-depth, but has your mindset changed or your expectation of analysis changed going into, say, reviewing, say, Amazing Spider-Man versus Spider-Man 3? And yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I really try to take these things uh, on their own terms as much as possible. And, of course, it's impossible to be completely objective about anything uh, when you're talking about... And when you're talking about a thing like this, it's almost a contradiction in terms, right? Because the whole idea is... Uh, how do I feel? What was my personal experience with the thing? Uh, but I try certainly not to go into a thing and say, okay, this is what I expect, and therefore I'm going to judge it completely based on how it lives up to those expectations. Uh, if a thing is working uh, on on the work on, if it's doing what it's attempting to do, despite what I was maybe hoping for, mm-hmm. um, then I try to uh, adjust a little bit and, uh, and, and, and you know, give it that. Um, there are there are lots of things that I didn't really care for growing up that I have since reviewed and found a love for because uh, my palate is just kind of kind of grown. And, uh, you know, I used to not care for the crow because it was just, it was just too dark and depressing and kind of rough. And then I watched it again for that rewind, and I felt like I got it. And once I got it, it turned into a four. There's nothing wrong with that movie. It's it's quite good. Uh, and and so um, when so like comparing you know something like 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 the Amazing Spider-Man to the first Spider-Man, or uh, you know you know even Spider-Man three. I mean, um, first of all, Spider-Man three is still just kind of a train wreck, and it's it's hard to. Um, it's hard to be that bad, I think, without just not trying. Um, I like, like I'm surprised whenever the first movie in a franchise can be anything like as bad as that. Uh, like like I, like I felt like Fantastic Four kind of was because um, th- th- that kind of smells a little bit like burnout to me. You know, it's like okay, we've been doing this for a while and we're kind of phoning it in now, and um, the studio is making us do things we don't really want to do. So you, you know, um, Raimi's Raimi's kind of sick of doing that. And, um, I mean, I don't think he was sick of Spider-Man. I think he was just kind of sick of the studio. Uh, and so, um, you know, obviously really, really different situations. But, I mean, like, you know, he's amazing Spider-Man, like, exactly the Spider-Man I would have liked to have had. No, not really. Um, I would have lightened the color palette up a little bit, at least in the third act, you know, for thematic reasons. But right. at least, um, but, I, but I appreciated what they were trying to do. Um, and, and I think they achieved a lot of it. Um, I just feel like... Sam Raimi, I think, intentionally sabotaged the movie once he had, like, that... Sony had that, like, oh, you're going you're gonna to have to do this regardless. And he's like, all right, fine. And then I feel like he just went out of the way to make it the most... the, the, the movie that we got today. Um, do you... Um, what made you decide on the two-year mandatory gap between the theatrical release of a movie to when you would do a superhero rewind? 
I, I came up with that because I and it's funny because the idea was always to a degree analysis before just saying here's what I think about a movie, but I think I just got kind of better at that. And also, in uh, in my defense, when I started, the the time limit for videos on YouTube was ten minutes, right? And so I had to kind of uh, truncate down what I what I might have done. Um, you know, you know, because of that as well. But I, I, I wanted the the movies to kind of uh, permeate in, in in the culture and simmer a bit, and uh, to to get to be able to kind of gauge how the public reception of it went and what the history of it was. And it's sort of like uh, you know, you don't want to talk about. I had a I had a history teacher once in college who said that you really shouldn't study history. Uh, for for anything more recent than twenty five years out, and even maybe that's uh, not or too recent because you because you it's not really history yet. We're still seeing too much of how it's unfolding. We don't know enough to really to really talk about it through a historical lens yet. And um, of course, I wasn't doing that. Was I was going to go twenty five years? Was super fun, but I didn't want to. But I didn't want to do a because I'd be doing basically George Reeves and not a lot else. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, but I felt like I it would be kind of uh, it would be kind of odd to like do you know a movie just after it came out and do the kind of analysis that I try to do. Um, I felt like it because and also because I don't have enough time to spend with it if I if I do it that way. Um, now that's not to say that I haven't admittedly, uh, you know, been on deadlines and things and watched a movie I hadn't seen before, I hadn't seen in a long time, um, you know, like the night of or the night before I wrote Rewind. I mean, I certainly have done and, you know, did some research and, and got my head in it. Um, but something about having, you know, that, that, uh, that time passing and, um, being kind of familiar with a movie or at least with the history of the thing, um, it just it just seems in my head to make a little bit more sense to do to do that kind of analysis as opposed to just um, to just kind of the, the the quick should you go see this movie sort of sort of key, which eventually you did adopt because you would do like your initial thoughts like coming coming back right from the theater. Um, which, yeah, and you notice how much those change sometimes, right? Yeah, like you know you know if you go back and watch my uh, Man of Steel review, I'm glowing. You go back and watch uh, the. The uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, how I felt about, um, I'm, I'm glowing in that. Uh, you, you need you need time to get a sense of how you really feel about a thing. Um, and I'm not saying that that's that that's bad or that I shouldn't do those reviews. Um, that in, in in my in my mind, I think it's kind of it's kind of interesting uh, to see somebody's opinion on a thing um, change and, and evolve over time. Which I do. I got from my per, from my. Um personal experiences I agree with because I came out of Man of Steel and I I really enjoyed it and I was really excited because I got a chance to see it in IMAX so I saw it in the highest format possible. Yeah. Then I re then my friend and I we we did uh we watched Superman two, the Donner Cut, uh Superman Returns, and then we watched Man of Steel. And then after that I'm just like, as much as I have problems with Superman Returns with well the story element says it does feel more of a Superman movie, and I started having these kind of weird feelings towards Man of Steel, and I saw the cracks of it like, started becoming more apparent. Then I'm like, yes, but I, I respected the fact that they took chances with that. Do those chances work all the way out? No, but that's what that's what you have a risk for. And, th- and then them addressing, at least what they apparently addressing, the problems I have with it in the next ba- the Batman v Superman, 
makes me feel a little more comfortable with it. And then maybe hopefully fans can look back on Man of Steel saying, all right, we we were too, like you were saying, maybe too quick to judge. And then in retrospect, that we would feel a little more positive towards it. Which um, review that you've done in Superhero Rewind, which was the most difficult to complete? Wow, you mean like time-wise or just figuring out what I wanted to say? or Well, figure out what you wanted to say because like it's, if you, like, if you have, like, Time can be like, all right, like I've written, I had a paper for one of my classes when I was in college, so like I wrote the morning of, and but I knew the subject matter really well, so the time wasn't an issue, and I wrote 10 pages within a couple of hours, and I still got an A on the paper. I feel like having, trying to figure out what's, what to say is the harder thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely can be. Um, the one that jumps to mind immediately, of course, is Dark Knight. That makes sense. And- and that's just, and again, of course, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a movie I really like, but just because you really like a thing doesn't mean that you necessarily know exactly what it is you want to talk about and, and, uh, and, and you, know, you know, how you're going to break it down. Um, that was one that I dreaded just because there was so much anticipation um, for that review, uh, which, by the way, I, 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 that, that kind of thing is always really weird in my brain. Uh, like, 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 sometimes I, I, I wish that I could... Uh, find a way to kind of just put the, the the viewers aside and just write what I want to write, you know? And, I, and you have to do that to a certain degree, but, like, um, the the big difference, of course, now versus when I started was when I started, there was no pressure. Nobody cared. I was just putting them out of me either. <laughs> and it's impossible not to think about the audience, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're writing the things. And, um, you know, I still want it to be as, you know, real and, and, and sort of, and sort of just, not raw, but, like, just, you know, my just how I feel about the thing and not let that impact it too much. But that one, that was the thing I was really worried about because I knew that there were uh, a number of people that, I mean, even though that movie is super popular and people love it, uh, there were a number of people that uh, had messaged me and been like, okay, don't gush too much about Dark Knight because it's not that great and that kind of thing. And you have to kind of put that aside and say what you want to say. And um, similarly, and I don't mind admitting this, I am absolutely mortified to work on Dark Knight Rises. Really? I was going to ask you about that. Oh, yeah. And that, that's supposed to happen later this year, and um, I cringe even thinking about it. <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun when I get into it, uh, but, I, but I just, there's, you know, there, there are definitely viewers that hope that you'll say, whatever it is that they feel about a thing. And we all have different opinions, and that's not possible <laughs> you know, uh, to do for everyone. And so that's the thing. There was a lot of pressure with Dark Knight. Um, and like, I know that there was at least one, one person that was like, you gave it a four. I'm unsubscribing. And uh, I always find that really interesting. I'm, I'm like, all right. I mean, you know, whatever. If you don't, if you don't want to watch the videos anymore, that's, that's totally cool. Thanks for being there in the first place. But I just think that's... Um, I just think it's really interesting. Uh, oh, you think it's that good, and I don't. So therefore, uh, your 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 opinion is no longer you know uh, valid to me. But the other one is the other one was Watchmen, and that's just because of how time consuming it was. Right. Um, I spent I spent a month doing research for Watchmen before I wrote that. Oh wow. Uh, I I uh, I read the book cover to cover again. I watched. 
two versions of the movie. Uh, I listened to the three and a half hour director commentary. Uh, I read the uh, Watchmen and Ethics book, which is, by the way, really, really good. Uh, and folks should read that. And um, I did I did a lot of other research besides. And from my personal opinion, I think that is your best review. Oh, Just, thanks, man. Because I feel like, because I could feel so much passion coming out. Like, that was like, and my next question was, like, which review would be your most fun? From my perspective, like, watching all, all your, like, the superhero rewinds, I feel like that one, you had a lot of, at least to me, it seemed like you had a lot of fun doing. Was that, was that the case, or was that still really difficult? Yeah, you know, in a more academic way, it was really fun kind of thinking about all that stuff. Um, the, the ones that are most fun for me, as far as just uh, writing them, are the, the ones where I feel like I can be a little bit more snarky uh, and get a little bit closer to the sort of tone that I like to use. And I haven't done this in a long time, of course, but that I like to use when I do something like Counting Group of Freaks or Spawny. Um, like, like uh, probably to, to, to answer the which was the most fun to do question, it's Batman and Robin. Uh, I, I could see that. <laughs> Because um, that was another one that I was a little bit worried come, coming into. Because I was like, "What else is there to say?" Even, I mean, that was 2010, even five years ago. What else is there to say about this movie? And uh, when I watched it again, and Poison Ivy has that line about how uh, every uh, every Poison Ivy comes with a Bane action figure, I, I, I thought I thought of that uh, toy commercial angle, and it, then it got really fun. And I, like the way my, my feelings towards Batman and Robin is like it is the greatest unintentional comedy made by Warner Brothers and it's become such part of just I think pop I think it's lived on in a way that probably if it was done really serious it probably wouldn't have been for so many for so many days when I was at college my friends uh, we we ended up for like my last semester living all in the same dorm for the most part and my friend had a suite in the corner of the building that was meant for three people but only two were slept only two people lived there so there's a lot of room and so many days I would kick open the door and I'd scream in my Arnold impression, like, what killed the dinosaurs? And everybody would respond, everybody who was in the room would respond, the Ice Age. And <laughs> something like that, if it was done for, for, like, done really seriously, those kind of moments would not happen. And then just for comic book fans, whether if they love it or hate it, it still lives on. So I think Schumacher achieved some kind of success with that. Well, the, sad, the one big sad thing for me, and of course, when people say that that's one of the worst superhero movies ever made, they're, they're right. But it's also hilarious. Uh, the, the the sad thing about it for me is just that it messed with the reputation of Batman Forever, which I think is pretty solid. Which I was going to ask you later on is like, yeah, um, do you think Batman Forever is better as more solid movie and solid storytelling compared to Batman Returns? Uh, yeah, compared to Returns, but I, I feel like, and, and by the way, Batman Returns is another one that I'd like to go back to at some point, um, because I, I didn't give that movie the kind of, uh, thoughtful approach that I, that I, that I, that I feel like I tend to now. Um, I don't think, uh, Tim Burton was trying to tell a story with that movie, um, and you go back and you look at 89, and I always looked at that with rose-tinted glasses and had a really hard time being even remotely critical because that movie had a lot to do with what kind of shaped me growing up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know that even Batman 89 really is all that much about telling a story. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's some elements here and there, but especially Batman Returns, um, that, that's a, 
it's an art project, right? I yeah. mean, like that's that's what it is. Uh, and Batman Forever isn't that way. Uh, it's it's got a story. It's got a it, it's got a solid story. Uh, it's it's a little cookie cutter in the way it handles its villains, um, and uh, it has really kind of typical third act. Uh, but um, and, and just for an action movie, not even a superhero thing. Uh, but it was the first attempt to really tell a story about Batman in a you know you know in a in a movie like that. Um, what was the kindest thing anybody said about your work has done on Geek Lucian? Oh wow! Um, well, it's certainly hard not to just go to to, to kind of recent comments, but um, I have okay. It's a couple things. Um, <laughs> whenever anybody says, and I've had this a few times, and I I don't understand it, but I but I appreciate it, and I'm kind of humbled by it. Um, two things. One of them is whenever anybody says Superhero Rewind helped me uh, learn how to write papers like in high school or college or something. I've gotten that a few times. Um, and then the other one is your videos helped me get through a, a really difficult stay at a hospital. Oh, wow. And that's one we got recently, uh, but we've had, but I've had that a few times before. And there was a guy who said that, because we have a few people that <clears throat> watch the channel religiously and kind of, kind of watch everything we do, despite what the topics are, uh, which again, always really, really kind of surprises me. Um, I'll never get used to that because the point of Geek Evolution, even though, you know, it's, it's nearly always just me and then some other folks, some other magnanimous folks I know, <laughs> uh, is, is, uh, I've always tried to run it sort of like a TV network. So there's a lot of different things for different kinds of people. That was always kind of my strategy and my approach to it. Um, and so, you know, we have some people that are there just for Star Trek. We have some people that are, that are there just for the superhero thing. And then we got folks that, that, that just kind of like to listen to us talk. And, and uh, you, you know, for them, it's sort of like just having a friend over talking. And they kind of they, they enjoy it no matter what it, what it is we're talking about. And I had, uh, but I had a guy recently who said that uh, he had a uh, really awful stay at a hospital. And I think he said that, he, that it was like second or third time he, he had to go in for, for like for, for major surgeries. And he said it was his third time watching all the way through Spawn Year. Whoa. And that kind of, that kind of got me. That's that's commitment right that, there. That anybody would take the time to watch all of that show. Um, <laughs> because I will I, I will admit freely how self indulgent Spawn Year was. And it's it's a thing that I I I really kind of appreciate that anybody even gave the time of day for for what for one video, but the fact that there are people that watched all of it, and that this guy watched it all the way through three times—that's that that really that really got me in a place. I remember, like I I did watch it all the way through once. Oh, geez, thanks, man. Yeah, and it was like, and like, and the finale I thought was, I'm like, like, you had so much content up up until that point. I'm like, all right, how can they do it? It can't just be all right and I'm back. And like, you you gave the the right amount of time for that, for I guess the, I guess you would say the third act of that story for that end and that epilogue to make it really appropriate. And like I know, like you said in other videos that you and Dan came up with that Dan Tory, who's been on Geekvolution, people who listen to this podcast, who check out the stuff that Dan and Cap do. Um, and by the way, real quick, quick plug: uh, Dan is about to start a new channel. Oh, really? 
on his own, yeah. Uh, and I don't want to say the name of it right now because I might get it wrong. Uh, and he hasn't started it yet, but um, he's about to start doing uh, his own written content again. Uh, and I've seen some of it, and uh, look out because it's awesome. That's awesome. When whenever that news breaks, if this if that news breaks before this podcast goes up, I will try and find a link and put it in the description below. Now. Before we, I, I do want to talk more about Spawnia, but like going, staying on with the criticism. What's the the harshest thing somebody said about Geekvolution? <laughs> you gotta um, talk. You gotta talk about that. Well, you always get you. You know, you always have some detractors. Um, I feel like we're really fortunate with the kind of community that we that we've managed to build. Uh, that we get mostly really constructive criticism, but you know you always got I me mean, the anonymity of the internet. People people aren't afraid to say anything. Um, I, I, t- I tell you, I tell you what my favorite negative comment of all time was. Which was uh, this, this? This was pretty early, but but, uh, but we, somebody on a on one of the lengthier superhero rewinds, uh, and back then lengthy was like twenty minutes. Of course, you know they, they they'll go forty five minutes to an hour now. <laughs> uh, but but I <laughs> somebody. Somebody wrote, shut the F up! Oh, jeez! And I laughed about it for five days straight because you clicked on a video that's 20 minutes long that is clearly just going to be a guy talking the whole time. And you're like, you get a few minutes in, you're like, oh my god, just shut up. Like, if that, like, if you, if that creates such an emotional response, if you were that angry towards you, you could have just, like, alright, clicked on another video or not gone anything. You did, like, I guess he felt so passionate enough to leave his thoughts on that and then disappear. Yeah. That kind of that kind of thing cracks me up. But no, no, we've had we've had some folks that uh, got, you know, legitimately uh, you know, offended by, by some opinion or, or, or something uh, and and uh, decided to stop watching uh, and and uh, you know you know wrote some wrote hateful things. You, 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 you get you get stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it happens. <laughs> yes. Now you you did like a really great in depth review for one of my favorite movies, uh, RoboCop. When you, oh yeah, RoboCop. God, that that movie that movie changed my life. Really? Oh yeah, I don't mind saying that. I didn't grow up with RoboCop. Uh, Robocop was a big giant. I'm sure there are some others that I haven't hit yet that I will on United down the road. But but uh, they, and maybe even Superhero Rewind. But the, but uh, Robocop was a thing that felt that filled like this big '80s void for me. It, it had not occurred to me. I mean, you had this with Watchmen, which was a period piece set in the mid '80s, which is hilarious because it wasn't a period piece when it was written. But then you know you you make a movie 20 years later and now it's a period piece. Um, <laughs> But I, but you know, it had never occurred to me how much uh, '80s stuff was about the violence and urban upheaval that was happening in a lot of the major cities, and it didn't occur to me just how violent the '80s really were until I started studying Robocop, and uh, then all of the identity stuff in that about what what really makes a man and and uh, and, and a lot of human condition stuff. Um, yeah, that I, I the first time I watched it. Of course, I, I understood the satire, uh, but the first time I watched it, I was impressed with it. But I wasn't sure I was what I was going to say about it. And I and I have this a lot where I'm not sure what I think about a thing until I start writing about it. Mm-hmm. And Robocop, I just couldn't stop writing. I just I just kept going. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that I'm glad you brought that one. That's that's one that I'm really proud of. I I, I loved reviewing that movie. And it's like one of those things is because the the economy of that storytelling. 
that's like an hour and 40 minutes and not a, you you could barely like if you go into any one of those scenes every scene either pushes the plot forward or has characterization in it it's rare that any of those scenes are just there for no apparent reason and oh, like yeah, yeah you're absolutely right yeah, and every, everything is everything's necessary it's a really tightly knit narrative yeah and never it never forgets the theme of that movie either it, it always keeps those present but not not omnipresent. It's not like the subtext is no longer becomes subtext, and it becomes incredibly too apparent to some folks. I mean, like certain, like whether it be certain, I guess you, certain science fiction movies can say, "Oh, we're trying to have a message here," and the message is so blatant that it becomes all right. It becomes almost pretentious, or you're talking down to your audience at one point. Like I feel like, like James Cameron's writing for the most part of his career is really solid, and I feel like. With Avatar, since the budget was so high, he had to kind of dumb things down a little bit to make it more wide appealing, and the theme was was uh, one of those uh, victims of that situation. But um, when you would when you started when Spawnier was complete, like I know you said, like because I I got I did get a chance to get a hold of your novel because I joined the, the Geek Solution uh, like fan club. Yeah. And I know you said you were like thinking about doing another novel after The Girl with the Seven Names, and you were like, Spawn Year pretty much was your second novel. Do you think you're going to, you, you're going to do another novel anytime soon, or is it just like Spawn Year's still permeating and you're like, I, I don't think I'm ready to do enough uh, big storytelling epic like that? Yeah, uh, it's tough. Because I think about it all the time. In fact, I was just thinking about that this afternoon. I I would love to sit down and write another book, um, but it's it's really mostly just a time thing and kind of an, an issue of um, priorities. Because when I put out a video, uh, several hundred, sometimes several thousand uh, people watch it, and uh, if I write a book, I might sell a couple hundred of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing, and that doesn't mean that, that, that uh, it's all about the numbers or anything. Uh, and, I, and I do certainly make things to a degree for myself. But at the same time, if I start writing a book, that takes away from the time uh, that I need to be spending making videos that I you know, promised that I'm going to uh, get down the, the pipeline and we're putting out daily content. It just doesn't leave a lot of time for stuff like that. Um, we are also planning um, more, and, and I, I can't talk too much about this yet, but uh, we are planning more stuff in the vein of Spawn Year, and that will still be the same sort of storytelling thing, uh, the, the same sort of like review within the framework of a story. Mm-hmm. And it just it's just really tough to write a book when you're <laughs> in the middle of trying to put together something like that. Um, I also really want to write comics. Uh, I don't have an artist yet, and uh, there are there are a couple people that I'd like to uh, that I'd like to hire to uh, draw for me, and then that's just a matter of, of pulling funds together. Um, but as far as just like you know you know finding a friend that draws really well that we can make stuff together, and I don't have to actually pay somebody, but we would just split you know the the uh, the the profits or whatever. I, I don't. I don't have that. Um, I've written. I wrote a script several years ago uh, for a comic set in the same universe, 
as the Girl of Seven First Names that is uh, really easy to read if, you, if you've not read that. It, it's basically just a pulp science fiction story uh, set in an alternate dimension. Mm-hmm. And so about kind of the alternate dimension thing that I did with, with uh, Girl of Seven First Names. But there's a couple of callbacks and references here and there um, to that book if you, if you happen to have read it. But what I wanted to do with that was kind of an anthology series where every issue... Uh, it would be, be like it would be anthology instead of serialized. So every issue would be a standalone one and done story, and one of the minor supporting characters in each issue would become the the uh, protagonist for the next issue, and that would be the thing that would link them together. Now, like with these comic, would it be like a standard standard twenty two page comic, or it'd be something yeah. a little bit longer? Yeah, the standard twenty two page because. Uh, I feel like we need more things to remind people that that is plenty of time to tell a good story. That's the one. That was the one concern I have. I'm like, I'm like, this reason, like, like with with your novels, like you're able to set up so much, like, like you, like you name that the alien, you, you name like within a sentence, you give a description of where the end, what multi, what universe it comes from, and what the characteristic is, and then you move on with the story. You do that really quickly, and I'm just thinking, like, you're saying, like. Tell a whole story, introduce character, plot, and conclusion with that, and then within 22 pages, I'm like, that's tough. There's a reason why, like, oh, I'm going to have, like, a four-issue or 11-issue arc to do all the storytelling. That's what I was kind of concerned with. I'm like, all right, if you, if like, if that's possible, I'm like, I'm all for it, because I love seeing storytelling being done that quickly, as I, as I mentioned before with RoboCop. Now... What is your biggest, I know, like, with time and such, what was your biggest accomplishment that you got out of Spawn Year? Uh, accomplishment, I, I guess I would say, uh, well, it's, it's, it's two things. First of all, just the fact that the story even remotely made sense by the end, I'm pretty, I'm kind of proud of. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> because I... I did not tackle that the way I would usually write a story. I kind of broke a lot of rules and didn't love that I had to do that, but a lot of it was was for the sake of practicality. Um, I was handwriting them all because the handwriting became a prompt for the show. Right. And because of the, and it was somewhat of an experiment because I just wanted to see if I could do it. So um, part of part of the challenge of that show was when you're handwriting everything. Uh, you can't do very much in the way of revision, and revision is is a very large percentage of the storytelling process. Um, I also had to post the videos before the entire thing was finished, and that meant that I wasn't, of course, I didn't, of course, write all the scripts. I mean, I did it more like a TV show. I didn't write. I didn't write the entire story. You know, I didn't even outline the story. Uh, and then, and and then, uh, and then, you know, produce the thing after that. Um, I was plotting and writing on the fly, and so keeping everything straight and making sure that I didn't have a lot of giant continuity gaps and that kind of thing um, was was not easy. Uh, but if I hadn't done it that way, I uh, it, it wouldn't have gone the way it did. Uh, it would have been a much much simpler story, and the whole meta thing we did at the end wouldn't even be a part of it. We also wouldn't have had the suit, right? And you said that like that. That was like the biggest change in your initial plans for Spawn Years because how well the suit turned out. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the suit looked so good. I felt like I had to find a way to integrate it and make it a major component of the thing. Now, obviously, if I hadn't come up with a good idea for that and and made it as character driven as I felt like I could make it, I I wouldn't have done that. You know, I, just for the novelty of it, I, I you know I, you know I wouldn't want to do anything really gimmicky. Uh, but um, 
but yeah, so I mean, there, there's that, and then um, the, big, the, the 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 biggest thing, Tim, is I learned a lot about filmmaking. Right, and you said like you'd want to apply that to your future plans to have more filmmaking ideas being um, conveyed through reviews. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to do more, well, and, and not even necessarily just reviews, uh, but I mean, I think that's just a really kind of fun format. Um, I wouldn't want to do that to any of my regular shows. Uh, again, a lot of people, including myself, really find that to often be, you know, really gimmicky where somebody's, like, doing reviews and then suddenly they get really overly ambitious, and now all of a sudden you have to, you have to watch, like, ten minutes of random story they're making up in the middle of the review, and you're like, nah, I just want to know what the review is. But I feel like, if I start a series and I give it to you up front, and you know what you're getting yourself into, then maybe it's okay. Uh, but is but, but yeah, um, I would love to do more stuff that's kind of cinematic. I uh, because I just learned a lot doing that. I mean, like I don't think I would have even been comfortable trying the documentary without Spawn here. Which was the next thing I was going to bring up. Where did the idea for mid Midwestern panels come from? I'm sorry, I'm, tel- I'm telepathic through the internet. That's just. That's <laughs> The documentary was an idea that came from a conversation Vince and I had, uh, I think, about three years back. And um, I was working at a comic book store at the time, and we uh, and I always thought it would be fun to shoot a documentary. And um, it was an idea we came up with together. And Vince swears up and down that both the idea and the title were mine, but I I'm almost positive he came up with the title. And um, we, uh, but like I said, we just kind of hashed it out. It was an idea we had for a long time. We really wanted to do it. And uh, finally, last summer, we just said, "Fine, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna finally go ahead with it." We had a week where we, we both were off, and we we could uh, and we could make it. So we went ahead and uh, went ahead and started putting it together. Um, what were the the comic book owners' reaction to the documentary when they finally got a chance to see it complete? Well, uh, first of all, they haven't all seen it yet. Uh, unfortunately, but um, but a lot of them have, and uh, everybody so far, overwhelmingly, everybody really likes it, uh, and, and really happy with the way it turned out. Um, and everyone's calling it really professional, which I appreciate because I have like a hundred problems with it, and <laughs> things that I would do differently if I could go back in time and do it again. Um, and I'd like to make another documentary down the road because uh, I feel like I have a much better sense of of, uh, of how to direct a thing like that now. It was funny because, like, I remember when I, I got the documentary and I was, like, one of the date nights with my girlfriend and I, like, what do you want to do? You want to watch the movie? I'm like, yeah, but I, I got something I can. She she's seen me watch, and I've showed some of the videos from Geekvolution to her, and she's enjoyed them, and she really, we both really enjoyed watching it. Um, oh, wow, I'm glad your girlfriend liked it. That's awesome. Yeah, and she really... I can just imagine that conversation. Oh, my God, you really have to sit down, sit down and watch a, a documentary about comic book stores for two hours. Well, like, there's, like, since we're, like, we have a lot of the same taste, there's, there's pretty much nothing that we can really put on that we both, like, would not enjoy in some regards. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. The only well, like, thing... I was going to ask you what you thought of it. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, and we really liked the, the score, and it was felt very warm and welcoming, and I thought that was a really... Because it's like, I've not been to the Midwest, I've only been up and down the East Coast, and I'm just like, now I really want to visit these comic book stores because it just seems such... A welcoming place. They're like, all right, now I really want to go there. I want to see some of these these unique ways of setting up a comic book store and how to integrate that into the experience and make it more, I guess, fun for the people who want to buy uh, comic books and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and I'll tell you, I've become really good friends with a couple of those owners now. Oh, really? Um, yeah, especially Robert Mayhem uh, in uh, in Iowa in. Uh, 
Uh, why can't I think of, uh, oh, Ames. Uh, and I've got family in Ames. And so uh, I'm down there uh, once or twice a year, and uh, Rob and I um, go out to dinner now whenever I'm in town. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and they're great. Um, there's, like, a few Batman questions I'll ask, and then there's, like, I'll... Sp- one last question that near the end. I know that you'll enjoy a Star Trek question. Um, awesome. Did you hear about the Batgirl Killing Joke variant cover controversy? Uh, I don't know if this is the same thing I'm thinking of. What, 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 refresh my memory. What was that? I think it was during the celebration for, I think, Joker's 75th anniversary that, that DC Comics put out variant covers across, I think, their major titles, and it'd be like... Oh, that's right. There was the, and there was the one where, what, he just had, like, had, a, had a nitro throat or a gun to her head or something? I forget. Yeah, like, he had his arm around her, and he, like, driven, like wrote us like, drew a smile on her, and her, her, she looks petrified, and he's wearing the same clothes that she was. He was right. a killing joke, and people... Yes, said they want to erase that from continuity altogether, and we should tear tear that like that image away from Batgirl's story, like from her continuity. And I thought that was kind of really wrong because you're 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 shutting out part of her past that kind of made her. Not saying that that this is the only reason she was a strong character, but it's something that was a character building moment for her to become Oracle, and then eventually to walk again. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, well, first of all, I sure wish I had bought that cover um, when <laughs> that happened, just so I'd have it now. Because uh, you know that's that's uh, that probably that probably immediately was like a hundred dollars on eBay after that happened. I'm looking at it. I'm going to look for it right now, just while you're speaking. But 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 anyway, um, no, all joking aside, yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I I honestly, that's one of those things where I wouldn't have looked at that cover and even probably batted an eye at it myself. Um, and then when somebody says, uh, "Oh, here's why it's controversial, why I have a problem with it," um, I'm not dismissing it. I understand why they're saying that. Uh, I understand why that why that bothers them. Uh, but the question I think you have to ask yourself is whether or not you think it's gratuitous. Right. Uh, because I, I don't, I don't think we're saying with with uh, with that image or that Alan Moore was saying, um, you know, look look how you know look how weak women always are. Um, I think you can go way too far with the with, with the notion that it's always sexist to put a girl in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, that just doesn't make any sense in my brain um, because. When, when you, especially when you're talking about like 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 a protagonist, uh, stories about conflicts, people are going to be in danger. The question is, how do they handle it? Which which I do agree. Like some like the, I, I just feel like it was a little bit of overreaction. That it's like, all right, like like you like you were saying, like people being in danger. That's part of conflict. It's part of drama and storytelling. But it's like, I don't know. I just thought it was a little. Well, I, I think the big deal with it, because I, I didn't even think of this. I think the when, when, it, when it first happened, like, I needed someone to explain to me why it was such a big deal. And I think the deal was I, the, the folks didn't like that she was crying. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that was the the weak, the weak female character thing where it's like, oh, yes, of course, uh, if a girl's in danger like that, she's going to start crying. Now, my rebuttal to that is if that happened to me, I would have the exact same expression on my face. <laughs> Um, I would probably be balling right. myself, but that's just me. But but no, um, and, and not to make fun of anybody that felt that way about it. I I, I think I understand why people felt that way. I just di- didn't myself, and I and I do feel like it is going too far to say we got to then like strike the story from continuity or pretend like it never happened or that kind of thing. Um, 
I, I just, I, I don't know. I just don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. And on eBay, it's going for like $75. So, yeah. And like, that's like the only one I could find. Like everything else is like, it's, I'm just like, huh, that's not, that's like, oh, that's the first printing. Like, oh, this is that. Okay. Um, what are your favorite Batman comics? Um, well, as I'm sure you know, Tim, my favorite thing uh, is No Man's Land. Yes, I kind of figured that was going to be a response. That's, that's my favorite. Well, you know, um, my, my, my opinion hasn't changed that much, Tim. I love No Man's Land. That's my favorite Batman thing. Uh, but I also, um, just like, I don't know, uh, favorites of all time. Um, I like, like, like a lot of people, I, 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 of course, really like a long Halloween. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of like single issues from when I was a kid, uh, that, uh, that I, that I really liked during like the normal brief oval days and stuff like that. Um, I have more like, and I have more like periods of Batman that I really like more than like just, just specific singular stories, I guess. I mean, right now, and I mean, as I delve more into it, I'm finding more and more things uh, because I was always much more of a screen Batman fan uh, than even a, uh, a, 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 you know, just a comic fan. And I also mentioned, of course, that uh, it's only been since I started Geek Evolution that I started reading comics really, really regularly. I was always a, a collector, much more than a reader. Huh? I wouldn't have guessed. Growing up, yeah, isn't that weird? I mean, you know, being being so much of a narrative guy, but like, um, yeah, I, I collected covers, man. I was I was just a big fan of. Of collecting was it because of like the speculation boom that kind of like got you into that, or no, not, not even a little bit? It was uh, provocative covers that I... just looked like like you know there, there'd be a cover of uh, yeah, I've got it I've got an issue of uh, what is it uh, Action Comics or Adventures of Superman uh, from like ninety ninety two ninety three that's got uh, the Joker uh, turned or it, it's got, it, it looks like Superman, but it's got the Joker's face. Like he's turned around with a, with a, with a, with a Superman cape. And, uh, when you're a kid and you see that on a, on a stand, you're like, I gotta have that. Right. Like, like I gotta know what happens. Um, I, uh, I always, I never cared about reading. I, it never bothered me to read a story in the middle of an art. That makes sense. Yeah. That never bothered me. Um, you pick up an issue, and uh, there usually was some sort of recap, either in story or, or, or right before. And um, even if I didn't completely know what was going on, uh, I was just excited to find out uh, what the cover was all about. I mean, that was that was always a whole lot of it for me. Um, and and that's a lot of why I have so much of, a, of an appreciation for uh, that form of trying to tell a whole story in twenty two pages. Because when I was a kid, uh, even incomplete stories were, it felt like you know, you know, complete stories to me, or at least enough, enough for me. Of course, they're not now, mm-hmm. uh, but that's, but that's how I remember them. I, I mean, I, which I can, um, which I can, what you were saying about, like, they usually recap at the beginning of the comic, like, what was it Stan Lee always says, every, every comic is somebody's first comic, and I felt that way when I picked up Longbow Hunters on trade paperback, because I never read <laughs> any Green Hour before. I read a little bit of the, like, Green Hour Year One, which would become like pretty much the first season of what Arrow would turn out to be, and I'm like, I picked up Longbow Hunters, and I'm like, it gives enough, and I was like, I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I guess, I I think that's Black Canary, I'm not too sure, and I'm like, I recognize this person, I recognize that person, I don't recognize you, and I just kept reading it, and and it's just the part of that storytelling that made me feel like, all right, I understand why Green Arrow is a big DC character because that story, because the storytelling was so. Done, done so well, and exposition was done really precisely. Now, 
do you like some some people feel towards the Burton and Schumacher movies that a certain resentment towards them? Do you feel like that way will happen towards Nolan's movies, or do you feel like that that is happening now? I think uh, the Nolan movies are, of course, going to be a lot more of a polarizing thing moving forward. Um, I think that I uh, what is what is more likely to happen is that folks are going to have more of an appreciation, at least is what I'm hoping, as we move forward, of the idea that these are different creators and groups of people's takes on a character. Uh, So you look at what Nolan was trying to accomplish with those movies, and it's very, very different from what Burton was trying to accomplish with his movies, right? Like, like he, he, of course, was trying to do much more of a grounded, sort of pseudo- what would Batman be like if he actually existed? Although I feel like those movies are a lot more heightened than anybody likes to give him credit for. But uh, but 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 I but I really think that uh, moving forward you'll you'll have I don't think you'll have so many people who will say um, like like see these this is like the wrong way to do Batman or you this was another stepping stone that you had to have before you had a, a more. Uh, like stylized comic book version, although I could see that argument. I mean, I, I think may, maybe that is true to a degree, but like, well, what as, as stepping stone? What I mean is, I don't know that people are going to look at it so much like, I you, you know the the new one. The new one is the definitive version, and we were still inching our way there with those movies. I think there's still going to be people for for a very long time, if not forever, for whom no one's Batman is their Batman. Um, and there's still plenty of people that, for whom uh, uh, Burton's Batman is their Batman. Uh, and and despite the, the third act of that last or that first movie making zero sense whatsoever, I, I, I feel like that's somewhat warranted. And uh, so yeah, I don't know. Um, but but I think I think more polarizing than uh, with with Burton and Schumacher because um, I don't think people's opinions really changed with Schumacher. I think with Schumacher, I think um, it, it just got more lampooned as we went ahead and we and we had. More, you know, more serious movies in the two thousands. But I mean, like, I think a lot of people's opinions of Batman and Robin were precisely the same when it came out as they are now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just like, like one of those things that like I've come to like appreciate all of Batman's continuity as like everything is valid, whether it be the super silly fifties when he was dealing with so many aliens and, and regular clowns when the the comics code was in effect, so they really their the hands were tied behind the back and the kind yeah, of content. And, and, I feel like, and that's not to say that there's no such thing as bad Batman stories. You know, no. that's, not, it's, that's not to say that you, you can go, well, it's all valid, so it's all good. I mean, All-Star Batman and Robin being, I think, on the top of my list of, like, least yeah. Batman stories. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but again, like I, was, like I was talking about earlier, you have to kind of take things on their own terms. Um, it might not be your Batman, and it might not be your cup of tea. Uh, but I think an argument can be made for at least most variations. Um, I couldn't believe how much stuff I found to talk about when I when I worked on that rewind for uh, '60s Batman. With the, the movie or the TV show? See, the TV show. Oh, okay. Uh, I just couldn't. I just couldn't stop writing. And when I was on that, um, nobody talks about the uh, political and social satire of that show, and uh, there's tons of it. And some of it is is, is surprisingly sophisticated. And I think that's, like, that's part of the hidden charm of that TV show is because right. it was so clever, and that how West would deliver his his deadpan expre- his whether it be his puns or his term or phrase or just like uh, like um, what what was it um, 
I think it was like someone like somebody's doing a go go dance, and I think in the Batcave j- falls into a vat, and like what a way to go go, and it's like that's that's clever writing right there. A horrible way to go go. Yeah, and, and the delivery is absolutely brilliant. Um, wait, may, may, may I tell you a, a goofy story real quick? Go right ahead. Last night, uh, my wife and I were um, about to put the kids to bed, and I my my uh, somebody had been had thrown a. Uh, stuffed animal, and it hit the keyboard, and the caps lock turned on, but we didn't we didn't realize it. And later on, uh, Sarah looked at the computer, and I uh, was like, "How in the world did the caps lock turn on?" And we spent about five minutes trying to figure this out because we were baffled. We were like, Why is the caps lock on? And finally, I realized what had happened, and I, and I and I explained it to her, and she said, "Oh, you know what? I think you're right." And I looked at her, and I said, "It's the only possible answer." <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> because of because of Adam West Batman, I'm incapable of delivering that sentiment without using the word "possible." It's the only possible answer. It's the only possible answer. <laughs> Quick, Robin, to the Batmobile, <laughs> and. Um, now, going on to, like, uh, like, I know you're pressed for time, so we'll wrap this up quickly. Um, thoughts on the future of Star Trek movies? Oh, geez. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to see what happens after this third one. Um, I, I think it's going to go one of two ways. Uh, I think this, this last movie is, is liable to do just okay or not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, fo- folks had uh, faith in Abrams uh, because, you know, they liked the other things he had done and because they really enjoyed uh, the, uh, 09, which, uh, you know, just despite my complaints about where, where Star Trek is right now, um, is a thoroughly entertaining movie and it's a lot of fun and I've put it in, you know, you know several times. Right. Uh, but um, people didn't seem real excited about Darkness and uh, I don't think a lot of people really loved Darkness. And I think that three is liable, like I said, to kind of just do okay. But I think the 50th anniversary of Star Trek will will kind of bolster it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then after that, um, I think that that Paramount is either going to just keep shoving them out every three or four years until they stop making money at all, or um, what I'm what I'm hoping. And this might sound like a crazy pipe dream, but hear me out for a second. I think Paramount, if this last movie doesn't do real well, will sell the franchise. Really? Yes, because they don't care about it. They don't. They don't like Star Trek. They they, they care nothing about it. Uh, they have they have they have basically gone on record and said so. Uh, Paramount doesn't want Star Trek on television. Um, they are they they have been talking about developing a Galaxy Quest TV show before a Star Trek show. Uh, and as much fun as that might be, that's crazy in my yeah. brain. We're going to make a parody of Star Trek, but we don't want to make more Star Trek. Uh, Abrams tried to put Trek back on TV after 09, and Paramount wouldn't let him. That's uh, they, they, had, they, 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 have, they have no interest in it. Uh, it's a property that they keep fueling uh, a little bit here and there. Um, just I think mostly because of merchandising, honestly. That At least that's my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, that, that brings them a little bit of revenue. But... Um, you know the movie is. Uh, I mean, O nine did well. Um, it wasn't you know you know an insane crazy success, but yeah, it, it it did it did well. Uh, but it, you know it's not Star Wars or anything for them. And I think Paramount has bigger 
bigger franchises, um, you know, monetarily speaking. So I, I don't know. I think there is every potential that they'll finally decide on. We really just don't care about this franchise. We have, we have better things to do. We'll sell it, or they'll just keep resting on their laurels with the with the uh, merchandising. But I don't, I don't think we'll see it go back to television anytime soon. I mean, it seems like it's only a creative license for them and nothing more as what you what you stated here. Now, like, like I didn't watch Star Trek growing up. I was a Star Wars kid, and seeing the Abrams movies, I went back and watched the original series, and I, wa- I watched a little bit of Next Generation before I just ran out. I didn't have that much time to sit down and, like, go through Netflix and all of it. And I know, like, a lot of people complain about Into Darkness and just saying, like, it is... It is derivative of uh, Rathacon, and it's, I think it's more derivative of Space Seed, the, the first episode that we get the introduction of Khan. And the way I justify it, I, I, or at least it's to some people, is I, I think of like, like we have different flavors of certain comic book characters. We have, we have two iterations of the Fantastic Four, for better or for worse. We have, we have several iterations of Batman. We have, now we have two iterations of Khan. I guess it's just, it's up to the it's it's all subjective if you enjoy Benedict Cumberbatch's performance uh, in comparison to Ricardo Montalban's. But and going off of uh, Star Trek, Simon Pegg um, made a statement about Hollywood, and and I quote: "Part of me looks at society as it is now, and it just because we're info and we've been infantilized or by our own taste that he he says we're kind of dumbing things down away because we're trying to take our focus focus away from real real world issues film used to be about challenging emotional journeys moral questions that will make you walk away and reevaluate about yourself whatever now that cinema just seems to be about hulk and robots i just find that kind of ironic coming from the very shallow version of star trek than those statements i, I don't know what your opinions would be on that well, uh, I don't think that there is necessarily, uh, Tim, anything uh, contradictory uh, or or, uh, or hypocritical about what he said because uh, the first script that I uh, was turned in for the new Star Trek movie, and I'm pretty sure I might be wrong about this. I'm pretty sure this was the first draft that he was involved with. Paramount rejected rejected saying it was too Star Trekky. And my guess is part of what might have fueled him, and I don't know what the context of that quote was, but one of the things that might have gotten him to that to that uh, to that opinion and, and why he felt the need to, to come out and, and say that, uh, it, it certainly would make sense if they wrote uh, a script that was a little more thought provoking and trying to get people to, as he said, reevaluate themselves a little bit. And Paramount came back and said, no, we can't have that. It's got to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy. And the one note that we've all heard over and over again, uh, Paramount give for the new Star Trek movie is, it's got to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy. That's very disappointing. Because so I don't think it's ironic at all that he said that. I think he probably wrote a real Star Trek script that I would love to read it. And like I think in that same interview, he, he almost like bit the hand that fed him. He's saying, like, I've become this kind of the prodigal son of geek culture and I kind of don't want to be like that. I don't want to be seen as that. I want to be seen as a real actor. And I'm like, oh, so Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and now the Mission Possible and Star Trek movies were a fluke to get you to this position. 
And yeah, well, okay, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean that, but, but again, I've not read the interview, and I don't, I don't know what. I know, I have. It's out of context but, here. But, but if that's what he, if if that is indeed what he said, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm with you. That does sound um, a little bit, um, you know, uh, I don't pretentious isn't the word I want to use, but um, but but I don't know. That's that's that kind of thing is always strange to me. Um, you know, you can. You can pick your projects. You don't have you don't have to make those kinds of movies. And he he always seems to enjoy them. So I'm not sure what the deal is. Yeah, and he has since like not a point of retraction, but like kind of apologized for his statements because I feel like his PR person probably grabbed them. Like, do you realize what you just did to the nerds? And, and probably then probably put a half heart. I, I get it for that, but I, I would totally stand by that first statement. He's not wrong. No. I mean, if you look... He's, he's certainly not wrong. But I think that... And I've said this a thousand times, Tim, but I feel like it's a matter of variety, right? Um, the Like like uh, like those kinds of... I mean, it, I don't... Have you seen... Um, you're not a big Star Trek fan. Have, have you have you seen the documentary that Rod Roddenberry made called Trek Nation? I, have, I haven't had a chance to. Okay, you need to watch that because uh, there's this wonderful interview that I didn't know about. I mean, there's a bunch of old Roddenberry footage that I think nobody knew existed. Uh, and, and, and one of the interviews uh, was was uh, a short quote from Roddenberry talking about Star Wars. And it's really cool that you get, by the way, in that documentary, um, uh, uh, posthumously, you get to see Roddenberry talk about Star Trek, and then there's, there's this wonderful interview um, with George Lucas that actually made me appreciate the man a lot more. Uh, where he's talking about the differences between Star Trek and Star Wars, and I'm jumping around, but to hear, by the way, to hear Lucas explain the difference between Wars and Trek, and it be like the real honest to God difference between them, and the reason they shouldn't be compared, and what I've been saying for 20 years was really cool, because um, he gets the difference between science fiction and fantasy, right. and he says what what we made with Star Wars was science fantasy. It was a space epic. It's not the same thing as the kind of um, more hard Star Trek's not hard sci-fi, but more hard sci-fi. I mean, is doing, and it was so cool to hear him say that. Uh, but the, the, the reason I bring up the Roddenberry thing is because uh, Roddenberry uh, says, you know, somebody asks him uh, if Star Wars is a bad thing because it's more like dumbed-down entertainment and it's not this big, like you know, um, you know, morality play or, uh, or or you know, super thought-provoking in the same sort of way. And, uh, you know, about big science fiction ideas. And he says, well, sometimes it's okay to just have fun. Mm. And I love that he said that. But the problem is we don't have enough of both now. Did you get a chance to see Ex Machnia? Ex Machia? No, I didn't see that. And that about that. That, like, um, is, like, like, if you would go back, like, somebody, I, I think I was on a YouTube video, he has a, this YouTuber had a clear, like, a, Different categories of science fiction uh, writing was like hard science fiction writing and soft science fiction writing. Hard science fiction where it'd be like Isaac Asimov or like something, something that had real science behind it to right. an extent. And then you had science fantasy, uh, science fantasy on the other side where it's like, all right, this is more of like we're taking liberties because we're in the space age where like Star Wars does. I mean, you could probably make an argument that Firefly's more science fiction or scientific, scientifically accurate when it comes to, like, sound and space and explosions versus what would happen in a Star Wars movie. And I just feel like we're, like you were saying, there was not enough variety, like, that, like, movies like X-Pac, that we don't have enough of those. We don't have enough science fiction movies that 
brings yeah, out like he, different uh, ideas to the masses. And of course, him, he's somewhat of a supply and demand thing. Uh, those we're not getting as many of those movies because they just don't sell. And the problem is is that you can you can have both, and you can sometimes have your cake and eat it too in the same movie. You know, um, you've got a lot of in in my in my mind anyway, um, really thought provoking things going on with some of. Uh, the Marvel movies right now, especially Winter Soldier, uh, which I think is just a really good solid espionage movie, and um, and it gets the butts in the seats because it's a superhero thing. You know, I mean, like like uh, like you can you can find clever ways to get around that kind of thing and have a big fun slam bang action movie that also makes you think a little bit. Um, no, I would love to see more things in the vein of Moon and Source Code, but I, I don't know that we're that we're going to get more of that kind of stuff. And that guy hasn't made a movie since Source Code, and I. I hate that because they're, they're wonderful. Um, he's coming out with another movie. Oh, is he really? It's a World of Warcraft adaptation. Oh, no, you know what? I forgot about that. I, that's right. I, I knew he was doing that. Well, I hope he gets to make some more of his own independent stuff after that again. Yeah. Like, I, I, um, and I hope that movie doesn't bomb because that will make it very difficult for him to get work. But uh, he, you know what? I forgot all about that. And I keep forgetting about it because he's been working on that for so long. Yes. Um, and he's, he he strikes me as a strange what what is what is his name Duncan Jones Duncan Jones David Bowie's is son he, I think his his uh, sorry what I think he's David Bowie's son oh is he really I, I'm pretty sure he's Dun- he's what? David Bowie's son that I did not know well that means that he is uh he is like like obligated at some point to put space oddity in a movie right yeah. That needs to happen. Anyway, uh, okay, that's cool. I didn't know that. Well, I just think he's he was always a weird choice for World of Warcraft because that's just a straight up fantasy epic thing. Like, like why are why are you going to this hard sci fi guy? I, I guess it's like like when some people ask like why is this such a good actor and such a terrible movie? Because I'm like, well, he's probably got mortgage payments to make, or he's got a like he wants a new jacuzzi. That's probably why he agreed to do that. Well, well, well those, like, or if it's successful, it puts him a lot more in the public eye. I mean, he might be thinking the same the same thing that um, you know some actors playing superheroes are, are, are thinking right now, which is uh, this is my ticket to eventually do what I want to do. Right, and then you got like. Garth Edwards and Colin uh, Trevero, who did like small independent movies, then they go to Godzilla 2014 and Jurassic World, respectively. And it's like, all right, now they've done, they've cut their teeth in independence. Now they've made a big studio picture that's successful, and now they can pretty much do what they want. Now they're both doing Star Wars movies. Yeah, uh, well, that's, that's a good point too. But I don't know that 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 choice with with Duncan Jones for World of Warcraft strikes me as as is is like like if if you were to get the guy who made, like, Dark City to make, like, a Dungeons & Dragons movie or Ooh, something. Ooh, that would be a good choice right there. Like, isn't that weird, though? Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, it would at least visually interesting, for the most part. That would, like, the one thing I was like, all right, I'm... That's, that's a good point. It would at least be really, really strange and, and, and fun to look at. Yeah, yeah. And then that's one of the reasons why I'm just like, I still need to get Dark City and The Crow on Blu-ray, because I know... They'll look fantastic on the Blu-ray format. So, like, because all the both those movies, whether it becomes from production design or cinematography, that it'll look fantastic. And the story ideas presented, like that you've both covered in your your uh, videos, that it, the the story is not hollow and it's not like Batman Returns or or some parts of eighty nine. It's not just style over substance. Yeah, 
Yeah, um, it, 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 it finds a way to blend them, and the, and the style is, uh, you know, you know the, the, the stylistic aesthetic is used to enhance the story rather than be the point. Um, final two questions. Since yeah. um, I really, I'm not done with your book, I'm like almost, like I'm not too far, because I'm only like 100 pages in, because I just haven't got a chance to get around to it, because I had such a comic book collection I had to get through. Um, I was like, oh, I like, my friend's like, oh, you want to see uh, Green Lantern turn to Parallax? Oh, sure. It throws down and then a bunch of other comics. I'm like, all right, I got to get through these first before I get to that. <laughs> um, what um, what other science fiction novels do you recommend for me to read? Because I'm more, I'm more like I know, like I read Starship Troopers. I still need to. I gotta reread Ender's Game, but the and I read uh, I wrote what I was saying. What other science fiction novels do you have that you could recommend? Well, I, and I am a little rusty with sci-fi literature because I've been in the comic and superhero vein for so darn long now, but um, I am a big fan of Arthur C. Clarke, and my favorite novel by, uh, by Clarke is Childhood's End, uh, and that is, that, is a, that is a really good story about uh, that, that, that kind of uh, asks the big uh, freedom versus security questions, uh, even, even you know, back then. And uh, is and, and is all about uh, what it, if it would be worth sacrificing yourself to a collective consciousness uh, for the sake of world peace. Mm-hmm. So that's so that that's a that's a really good book. Um, I also really like uh, the Martian Chronicles. Okay, uh, which like uh, like a lot of Asimov stuff uh, is a series of uh, stories that are all set in the same world, but it has a little bit more of a through line. Um, than that, and you'll see a whole bunch of things that comic book stuff uh, ripped off and, and, and derived from that that you didn't realize until you read Martian Chronicles. Uh, <laughs> so much of Martian Manhunter and stuff comes from there. Huh. Interesting. Um, uh, like, like, because, you know, he, the, the, those Martians are telepathic and, um, and, that, and, that, and that kind of stuff. That um, makes sense. But yeah, those, those, are, those are my two favorites. Gotcha. Thank you uh, for the recommendation. So, so uh, a couple years ago, I read uh, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," and um, even if you've seen Blade Runner, uh, you got to read that book because it's very different. I, I I took a science fiction film class where, whenever we we had we did like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, we read the book, then we watched um, the Kenneth Branagh version. Same thing, we read um, uh, "Do Androids Dream," and then we watched Blade Runner. And then, oh, awesome! Yeah, and that. I just can't believe the characterization of was it was it Sebastian? How different he was from book to screen. Yeah, and I'm just like I just wonder what the idea was to like I guess maybe I don't know maybe they didn't want to offend people for like in the adaptations of the movie maybe they felt like the Anders were taking too much advantage of him in the book but I'm just like uh, I guess that's understandable but I mean it's one of those things that. I'm also in the middle right now of uh, The Running Man by Stephen King, and it is really, really quite brilliant. He he wrote Running Man? I thought it was somebody else. No, he wrote Running Man. I think uh, that was early enough that it was under the pseudonym Richard Bachman, but it, it, that might have been a Bachman book. I forget. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, that's a Stephen King book. That was a Stephen King movie. Huh. Um, People people forget that that uh, that King uh, uh, gets science fiction and has has a lot of the sensibilities. Um, Stephen King grew up with pulps and comic books really really hard. Uh, he read 
just just like like thousands of comics when he was a kid. Uh, right. He talks about that a lot in his book on writing. Um, last question, and I'll let you. I'll let you get back to whatever you things you got to do. Which superhero <laughs> movie are you looking forward to the most next year? Oh boy, that's so hard, right? Because there's seven of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, gee, is you, you could most of us. Well, I guess not me, but a lot of people. A lot of people could just go to superhero movies next year and see twice the number of theater of movies they usually see in the theater, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's insane how many are coming out. Really hard not to say Batman versus Superman, of course, uh, especially after that last trailer. And that was that was a thing that I was a, a lot more cautiously optimistic about. And it's going to be really hard not to just straight up go. Um, uh, yeah, whatever. It's going to be great, uh, and and I and I hope that we're not, you know, uh, disappointed. But um, so many neat images and things that they're that they're showing us from that right now. I'm very excited about that. Uh, and Civil War too. And I think it's really cool that uh, Marvel and DC both are putting out movies next year uh, that are about uh, you know big battles and wars between superheroes and what they're and and that, and that they're they're clearly. Uh, as much about, as far as we can tell anyway, um, the, the ideologies and worldviews of these characters and not just get to see superheroes punch each other. Um, I think uh, comparing those two movies is going to be really interesting. And I hope people don't do it in, a, in the, you know, that kind of obnoxious standboy way like a lot of people were with Avengers and Dark Knight Rises where I'm like, you're only comparing them because they both were really big, big movies that made a lot of money and both came out the same year and were both superhero movies, but they really have nothing to do with each other. Right. And, with uh, with Civil War and uh, Batman vs Superman, I mean, like uh, you know, there will be interesting papers to write comparing and contrasting these things. I bet. And then you got then you have Punisher facing up against Daredevil in the TV oh, series, yeah. right? Well, when you said movies, I mean, like I'm probably as excited about that as I am for anything. Yeah, and and like the I like Tom Hardy spoke that he wanted to be the Punisher, but the actor they got to play him from they I forget John something from The Walking. He played Shane in The Walking Dead. Which is good, and I haven't seen him in anything because I still notoriously haven't gotten Walking Dead. And I'll, I'll do it. I just haven't got there yet. I, I stopped after two seasons, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> a lot of people have told me that, and it's just like I'm like I already started seeing like all right, this is, they're being really repetitive here, and I'm like I'm not, I'm like we go to a location, we mess it up, we move on, and I'm just like all right, I. I'm I a little interested to see if Fear of the Walking Dead ends up being any good because apparently the the. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I guess the premise of that is is, is almost more appealing to me, uh, but also uh, it had the biggest cable premiere in history, which is crazy. I like, I like five seasons in, I didn't think people were still as into that show. But it also the, the the reaction was like split right down the middle of like people who really enjoyed it and people who thought it was mediocre. That's a that's oh, a sad really? thing. Okay, yeah. Well, it might suffer a similar uh, fate to Caprica. Right, I forgot about that. Because huh. that was the same sort of thing, right? Where it's like, well, now I guess the difference, of course, is that Walking Dead is still going on. True. But because, you know, Battlestar was finished, and uh, that show was, I mean, it, I mean, it was at the height of its popularity when it ended, and, uh, or at least close, you know, and so they felt like they had to try to ride, ride that wave as far as they could. Mm-hmm. Even go, sci- Sci-Fi Chant, even going as far as to basically making a Stargate show that was just more Battlestar, but in Stargate. <laughs> All right. I want to uh, thank you so much for taking time out to do this podcast with me. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you. Uh, I really I really enjoyed doing it. And um, I'm, uh, and I'm glad you got to talk to Oliver because Oliver's awesome. Yeah. And uh, like, when I, like I met, like I said, I'm pretty sure I, I was a fan. Like I was subscribed to your channel first, 
listen to the Superman reviews, and then I think, I think like I was looking at, looking at James Bond stuff and on YouTube, and I found Oliver, and then then I, I my uh, I was like, wait, Oliver Ollie sounds very familiar. I wonder if they're the same. I'm like, they are the same, and. <laughs> And then he just had like the loveliest things to say about you, and that he was such such. Both of you are so gracious with your time and willing to do these interviews with me. Oh yeah, man, no no problem. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I said like I've been looking forward to this all week, and I was just like, like Monday, I was like, eh, it's a Monday, not doing so great. And then you say, yeah, I can do the interview. I was like, mm, now I now I something really look forward to on Friday now. Oh, well, that's awesome, man. I thanks, buddy. No problem. Um, hopefully. Those who are listening to this podcast, I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you enjoy the interview I did with Captain Logan at Geekvolution. Go to YouTube.com and subscribe to Geekvolution if you want to hear more uh, of Cap's thoughts on all things comic book and science fiction related. And and follow uh, this podcast, as you probably listen to it on SoundCloud. And turn in next time, where I think my friend Renee and I will be talking about our favorite cinematography moments in movies.